Well, good morning. I know why you guys are at the 11 o'clock service, because it is daylight savings weekend. Some of you didn't even realize it. You're like, why am I so tired this morning? Right? Our clocks naturally reset now on our phones. Uh, so it's interesting. It's daylight savings weekend, but do you know what else happened two years ago this week? Guys, this is the two-year anniversary of two weeks to slow the spread. Can you believe it? <laughs> two weeks to flatten the curve. I know we thought it was going to be two weeks. It's been two years. It's been two dog years. I mean, I thought I'd be remiss not to mention it. I mean, remember, everything went online and everyone became a homeschooler and we all learned a new vocabulary, lockdowns, executive orders, mandates, social distancing, pandemic, right? And, and no church was ready, no organization was ready, no seminary, you know, prepares its pastors to lead through it. But I just want to say, as we look back, right, you only understand God's wisdom, right, through the rearview mirror of your life, not through the windshield. As we look back, we see how God has been so gracious to our church. Do you know that it was in the crazy two years of COVID that we ended up finding 11 acres downtown? And again, because of your generosity and the grace of God, we are continuing to move forward. And you're going to begin to go, some of you have driven by there and you're like, there's a lot of kudzu there. Okay. Well, what you're about to see, there's going to be a lot of land development. Starting in June, we're moving dirt and we're praying and planning August of 2023 to be in that building. Because if you can look around right now, uh, we're out of capacity at all of our services. And, and so we're really excited. But what I want to do, something unique, I, I, before we dive into James, it's the two-year anniversary of, of kind of just COVID beginning. And I want to take a moment, I want to pray for pastors and I want to pray for churches because what's happening here is not happening everywhere. And most pastors are struggling. A Barna study came out, said 38% of pastors, if they could quit their job and get the same amount of money doing something else, they would. 15% of churches in America have died during COVID. They're dead. They're trying to rent their parking lot out. They're trying to turn something into a daycare, but they're dead. 40% of churches are in life support. They keep hoping things are gonna change, but it's two years. If, it's not, if, if nothing hasn't changed in two years, it's probably not changing. And then there's 40% of churches that are what they call surviving. They have enough money in the bank and attendance is 30 to 60% of what it used to be. Only 5% of churches in America are doing as well or are above where they were before COVID. And so listen, most pastors are discouraged because pastors signed up to love people and preach the Bible. And then COVID happens and everybody's got an opinion and everybody thinks they should open or they should close. And it's been an unbelievably hard, it's been a hard time for everybody, but the industry that I know is the church and people that I know, they're pastors. And we believe that it takes all types of churches to reach all types of people. And so I just wanna take a moment and pray for the churches in our city as well as the churches in our nation to be strengthened, particularly for pastors to be hopeful. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for these pastors, Lord, who are discouraged. They, they wanna love people, they wanna teach the Bible, they wanna, they wanna be with their people. And so much has changed, Lord. And, and I pray for these churches, Lord, just all over our nation, all over our city, Lord, that you would unify the church in a divided world. Lord, I pray that you would give pastors hope I pray that you would strengthen churches. Lord, I pray that every church or every city would have more and more good, strong churches, Lord. I, I pray for churches in this season, two years in now, to give them a vision to be revitalized, to be repurposed, to be remissioned. And we pray all this for your glory and their good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can type two, turn to James. If you're new, welcome. Great time to be new. We're in uh, the book of James. It's uh, Jesus. Jesus had a little brother. He wrote a book. It's in the back of your Bible. Maybe you didn't know that. And so we're going to be in verses 5 through 11. Again, if you're new, this is what we do. We just 
walk through books of the Bible, and it's kind of fun because now you'll know what verses we're in next week. We'll be starting in verse 12 next week. This week we'll end in verse 11. So we're in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. James is super practical, right? Some of you, you view your faith as just something that's intellectual and it's in your mind. And James says, no, 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 no. It's got to get in your heart. It's got to work out through your hands and it needs to work out in real life. And so the theme of, we, we call this James, faith IRL. That means faith in real life. And the big idea in James is that faith works, okay? Not that, not that you work for your faith, okay? That's religion. But that once you have faith, faith works in you and faith works through you. We, have, uh, we are not saved by... Um, our works, but our faith is shown by our works. And the first thing that James does, and this is why, again, some of you, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, you're gonna be really surprised maybe by this. The Bible is just a real honest book. And so James opens up and he's like, guys, let's just go right at it. Everybody's going to suffer, right? So you can look at verses one through four. I'm not gonna go back there right now. And he says, we're all gonna go through trials. Here's what that means. Trials, tragedies, Okay, here's what this means. Pain, pressure, problems, hardships, heartaches, heartbreaks. We're gonna go through them. And then this was James' big idea. And, and as soon as I say this, we're all gonna suffer. You know that. You just have to live long enough and love enough people. Okay, but then he says this. Everybody goes through suffering, but not everybody grows through suffering. And you know that's true, right? Have you ever met somebody and they're just an older, more bitter version of themselves? And it's just like, yeah, they got divorced or yeah, they got sick or yeah, they were upside down financially and it ruined them because they, they, they didn't grow better, they grew bitter. But every once in a while, and maybe more often than not, you meet some people and you're just like, they've been through some stuff. And their kid is disabled and their marriage was hard for like five years. And they've been up and down in the stock market and their one of their kids was rebellious and but they went through all this and they're still loving and trusting the Lord. And so here's, here's today. So when you read your Bible, everything's connected. And a good Bible reader should be a confused Bible reader. So we should read today. We're gonna to talk about wisdom. You're like, what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, today's big idea is gonna be wisdom, but, but it's connected to trials. And here's the big idea. That trials wake us up to our need for wisdom. Isn't that the truth? So, so pain and problems, they wake us up to go, we're not in control. By the way, that's what COVID did. And I know I don't wanna talk about COVID a lot, but that's what COVID did for everybody, right? At the beginning of COVID, everybody realized two things. I'm not in control and I'm going to die. That's what, it's like, well, those were true before COVID. But then everybody woke up, I'm not in control and I'm going to die. And so what trials do is they wake us up to our need for wisdom. Now it could be a little thing. Most couples, their first year of marriage, they're like, well, I did premarital counseling and I read the, the Paul David Tripp book on you know, marriage and I, you know, I, and I got married you know, in, in, by a pastor and I did things right. And then, then they get married and then they start to have problems. Sometimes on the honeymoon. And they're fighting at their honeymoon. And they're like, they're like what's going on? And, and in that moment, they usually realize something. Somewhere in the first year, they realize, I don't know what I'm doing in my marriage. What I know about marriage, I can put in a thimble. And, and, and that's where God wants to say, that's exactly where I want you. Because now we can talk. You're in a need to know, need to grow moment, and we can do something about that. Right? Everybody thinks they understand parenting until their kid turns three. <laughs> right? And everybody thinks their kid's really smart until their kid goes to middle school. But that's the same thing. <laughs> and then you, you have this moment 
was your kids are growing up. You, you, we all have this moment, every parent does. I don't know what I'm doing about parenting. And God's like, that's great. Now I can help you. And so the, the thing is that we need wisdom in all areas of our life. But, but really, trials tend to wake us up to the need to know, need to grow moments of our life. This is why if you give an 18-year-old single person a book on parenting, they're like, I'm not going to read this. If you give a mom with three young kids a book on parenting, she's like, how many of these do you have? <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to read us James 1, verses 5 through 8. And we're going to look. This is, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on 9 through uh, 11, but this is where we'll mostly stay. James 1, verses 5 through 8. Okay, it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, who here, here lacks wisdom? It's okay to admit it. Yes, we all need wisdom. Just depends on what area. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, not Google. You can go to Google second, okay? God first, Google second. Some of you are like, that's all I needed, Kyle. Good, I'm out of here. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> all right, let him ask God. Who gives generously, okay? So God's a giver and a forgiver. That's, all, that's what you need to know about God. And every time the Bible says something about you, it tells us something about God. So, okay, I lack wisdom, God's wise. I'm needy, God's generous. Well, that's great news. Now look what it says. And it will be given him. But here's the conditions. Let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when you understand the Bible, I don't want you to just understand law and gospel. That's how a lot of you understand the Bible. There's all these commands, and then there's the Jesus has done, and there's the gospel, and there's the grace of God, and great. Those are two main ways to see the Bible. There's law and there's gospel. Let me give you another one. Wisdom and folly. Listen, wisdom is such a big deal. God named a whole section of the Bible wisdom literature. It's like Song of Solomon, that's wisdom literature. Job, that's wisdom literature. Psalms, that's wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, wisdom's a big deal. So let me ask you this question. Don't, say, don't answer out loud. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done? I didn't say, not what's the dumbest thing your spouse has ever done. I know you're ready, we're ready to share that. No, 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 no. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done? Because by the way, sometimes you'll do something that's sinful that was also stupid. Sometimes you just do something that was stupid that maybe wasn't sinful. For me, eighth grade. Okay, these are back in my BC days, before Christ. Okay, I became Christian in high school. Um, a friend of mine, and I don't know why we did this, because we were rebellious, and we wanted, we liked the adrenaline of it. We just decided, let's go ding-dong ditching. Okay, ding-dong ditching, if you don't know what that is, you may call it something else down here. Up in Pittsburgh, we call it ding-dong ditching. You walk up to a house late at night, you ring the doorbell, you run away. <laughs> and the person comes out, and they look around confused, and then they go inside, and everybody, and, well, the people who ding-dong ditch, we laugh, okay? So, so to begin with, that was dumb. And then, uh, we decided we were gonna take our bikes when we ding-dong ditch, and well, you'll see why in a minute, but that was really dumb. Um, and then we go to this one house, and this was my friend Brad's house, and I didn't really like Brad that much, and I, I thought his dad was kind of annoying, and so we're like, okay, let's, let's get Brad's dad. And so we go, and we ding-dong ditch, and Brad's dad comes out. I'm like, oh, Brad's dad, this is hilarious. So, so Brad's dad comes out, he looks all confused, we're like, this is awesome. And then we had the dumbest thought that I think I had in middle school. We looked at each other and said, let's do it to Brad's dad again. Why would you ever ding-dong ditch the same house twice? on the same night, but we did. And we went back up to Ding Dong Ditch and he was right there, ha ha. We were so scared that we ran away leaving our bikes. And as we realize it, we turn around to see him rolling the bikes into his garage and hitting the garage door. So I'm like, I'm gonna have to go back 
ring the doorbell again. <laughs> Asked forgiveness, and anyway, he was gracious. And, but but it, was a, it was a dumb moment. Now, now again, it, being dumb like that, it's fun, they're funny stories. We love, the whole reason America's Funniest Home Videos became a big deal, right, is like we think it's funny when people do dumb things. The reason that Dumb and Dumber is an iconic movie that every generation just laughs at is because it's funny to watch people do foolish things, except if it's you. <laughs> or somebody you love in an area of importance, right? So every parent usually has that moment when their kids are growing up, usually it's somewhere around elementary school, middle school, where the first real foolish decisions you potentially see your kids making are the friends they're choosing. And it's the first time, a lot of times, you'll talk to parents, it's the first time it's like, this is not good. I know where this path leads. I know that your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life, and I don't want you to do that. Or sometimes the first foolish decision you'll watch somebody make is who, who they date. And you're like, well, the purpose of dating is marriage, and this is not somebody that you want to marry, trust me. This is not somebody that you want to, you are not equally yoked in any way. Or you see somebody, and you try to tell, a lot of times it is our kids or it's someone we love, and you're trying to like, I w it would be great if you would value education and work when you're young, trust me. Because you don't want to be like 40 and have no skill set. You don't want to be 40 and have no education. And so you, you're kind of trying to watch this. But then there's other people. So that, that's when you watch like foolish people who don't have wisdom and you, and you watch their lives kind of unravel. And it's really painful. But then there's other people you watch and it's like, you're, you're exactly right. Those are the friends you need. That is the value system that you need to have. That is the work ethic. Somehow you understand generosity and you understand savings and you understand living within your means? And, and so what I wanna talk about with the rest of the time today is just what is wisdom? R really two questions we're gonna spend the rest of our time with. What is wisdom and how do we get it? What is wisdom and how do we get it? So look one more time with me at verse five. I just want you to see it here. In verse five, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So. <laughs> Whenever we describe something, we always have to say what it's not first. So wisdom is not data and information. Although you need data and information if you're gonna have wisdom. Data and information is the beginning, but what has the last two years been about? Data and information. I have this study and it says this. Well, I have this study and it says this. Well, I have this information. Have you seen the data over here? Well, have you seen the data over here? Wait, what, what happened, right? What's happened, I'll show you this. What's happened in the last three weeks? We've gone from being infectious disease experts to foreign policy experts. Gotcha, right? <laughs> That's exactly what's happened. Everybody has, I read this study, I read this news article, I read this blog, I listened to this podcast. And by the way, this is what whole companies are trying to do. Whole companies, with every card swipe, with every search engine you know, search that you do, all companies are trying to do all the time with you is gather information and data. This is why Target famously was sending coupons for diapers to women who didn't know they were pregnant yet. You go, how's that possible? Well, Target knew what women who might think they're pregnant start searching. Isn't that fascinating? This is why they've, and I, I couldn't find what all three of them were, but a friend of mine was telling me that um, there's, they can tell if you're likely to get divorced based on things you start to do. So one is if you buy a gym membership for the first time ever. <laughs> Number two is strangely, if you visit an amusement park, and I couldn't find out what the third one was, okay? 
But it's just, isn't that interesting? It's like, these are the things that begin to happen that tell us something's going on. Now, okay, so there's data and information. Secondly, there's knowledge, right? What is knowledge? Knowledge is like, I mean, it's why you go to college or med school or you get your master's, right? Or you learn a trade. It's like, would somebody turn information and data into something? And that's knowledge, basically. You can think of degrees, you can think of disciplines. You know, we live in a medical city, so people like spend their whole time okay, let me do medical school, let me do residency, let me do fellowship, finally I'm 35 and I'm an attending. And, and, and now what I've done is, it's just fine, I've collected an enormous amount of information and organized it across time, and so now I have knowledge and understanding. Here's what we know though, people with knowledge and understanding, we know that it's not wisdom. Knowledge is intellectual, wisdom is moral. Wisdom is spiritual. And so what you'll see, and you'll see this, think about a CEO, okay? L love CEOs, grateful for CEOs. Almost, every, if you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, the chance that you have like a very high IQ and that you're super conscientious means that you work super hard is really good, really high. Uh, the average, someone told me the average Fortune 500 company is dealing with 200 lawsuits at one time usually. So you're unbelievably smart if you're a CEO. But we, every once in a while, you'll watch a CEO destroy his life by some moral failure. You're like, did this guy who's so smart really throw away his whole family for a woman half his age? Did that you, you like what? It's not just CEO. It could be a politician, but they're people who otherwise you look at you look at the resume like went to the best schools, had the best jobs, have the best pedigree, and then you realize, wait a second, they only had knowledge. They didn't have wisdom. And so what I want to do is I want to tell us what wisdom is. Wisdom has three components. It's it's getting God's perspective. It's getting on the right path and it's becoming a type of person. I'm giving you a comprehensive, like what does the whole Bible teach about wisdom? It takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. Um, so God's perspective, here's what you're doing. When you're in a trial, what you need is God's perspective. How does, you know, because I mean, you're, God's eternal and you're temporary. And God's sinless and you're sinful. And God's thinking globally and well, you're thinking about yourself, which is okay. So part of what you do is, is it, this is by the way why you pray, because this is what, when you pray, you when you're praying, you're basically saying, God, I want to think about you. And then you become God self-aware or God conscious. This is why if a couple's fighting, it's very hard for them to pray. Like, because they're like, well, I don't want to pray because then I have to think about what God wants. And so one of us, or maybe both of us, need to repent and change, and I don't want to do that right now, so we're not praying about this. Because when you pray, you become God conscious. And so it's God's, God's perspective is, so God says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What is he saying? And then he goes, they're above yours. So here's the idea. The wisdom of God is the X factor when you think about your life. For example, I told you this last week, but when people are struggling, understandably so, I'm thinking of, and I'm not going to give examples, but I'm thinking of some horrible things that happen to people. And I know this. They, they have to ask this question. If God loves me, if God's loving, and God's good, and God's all-powerful, those three, God loves me, God's good, God's powerful, then why? Why, why did why did I get this illness? Why did I lose my job? And there's, a, and there's a fourth characteristic of God that we have to hold with all those other three that we often forget about, that God is wise. It's an issue of faith. The wisdom of God means he knows the ultimate goal and he knows the best means. And I have to believe both of those by faith. And it really is an issue of faith when things aren't going well. So the first thing is I need to get God's perspective and we'll talk about how to do that. That's, that comes from going to the word of God. That's how we get his perspective. Secondly, more, not more importantly, connected to it, we have to get on the right path. So knowledge and data is about plans, but wisdom is about a path. Let me explain that. So everybody in here, 
I would bet you have the right answer at least. If I were to say, what is your plan for your relationship with God? And you might say, well, well, my plan is I want to walk with the Lord. My plan is I want to have a deep relationship with the Lord. But your path is not getting in a community group, not doing a daily devotion in your life, not being deeply connected to a church. So you made a plan, but you had a different path. This happens all the time. But, but think about how foolish it is. So if I said to you guys, I'm, I want to go to Nashville. Say, I, want, I don't know why I want to go. Maybe I want to go you know, see country music or whatever. Okay, I'm going to go to Nashville. And I tell you guys, and I'd say it on stage, I'm going to Nashville. And then I, you know, afterwards I pray about going to Nashville. I get on my knees and, Lord, I'm going to go to Nashville. I, just, I know this is where you want me to go. And then I, I look up the weather and I'm like, okay, it's a little, okay. So I pack for Nashville. I tell my friends I'm going to Nashville. But I get on 40 East. Some of you don't know your geography, okay? That's the opposite direction. It, you, we get it in the physical world, we don't get it in the spiritual world. I'm never going to get to Nashville if I head 40 east. It doesn't matter if I pray the whole time I'm driving there. It doesn't matter if I call my friends and tell them I'm heading to, to, to Nashville. It, right? It's not about my, it, you know, it, it's not about my plans. It's ultimately about my path. A lot of people plan to have a good marriage. I mean, that's who would get married if you didn't, right? Every, I mean, the vows and the premarital counseling and all of the dating beforehand and the books and the conversations, it's all a plan. But then the path is we live separate lives. The path is we are on our own devices at night or we don't know how to relate. We just relax and watch TV every night. People plan, they would like, you know, you, we all know the right answers. Here's the plan for finances. Uh, man, I'd like to have enough savings to retire. If I could be generous to my kids, that'd be great. If I could be generous to my grandkids, that would be really cool. If I could retire at a decent age, that would be great. But then that's, that would be the plan. Then what is most people's path? To live right at or right above their means the entire time. So it's like, okay, some of us, we say our plan is to be healthy. Our, our, you know, our plan is to exercise, but our path is to eat whatever we want and not value it. You get what I'm saying. So, so here's the other thing. You're becoming, the path you're on is creating you, turning you into a type of person. This is what the Proverbs say. So I'm bringing a lot of things together tonight about, or this morning about wisdom. So when you're on the path, the Bible says you're either a simple person, a fool, a scoffer, or a wise person. Okay. Those are not my categories. Those, those arise right out of the book of Proverbs. So my question is for you to really be honest, where are you? Are you a simple person? Are you a fool? Are you a scoffer or are you a wise person? And, and, and you may have to think about it in different areas of your life. So here's what a simple person is. They don't know or they don't want to know, right? So here's the, the classic simple person is your child. I mean, the goal of parenting is like, okay, my child is simple means they don't know. And so what I want to do is I want to love them and I want to pray, them and pray for them and I want to teach them and I want to model for them and I want to get them in good environments. And, and I don't want them to be naive. I want them to be innocent, but I want them to know. I don't want to send them out into the world to be really naive. You've got some like 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl, all boys are good, get out there. You know, we don't do exactly that version of it, but that, that's not helpful. It's leaving her simple. Simple is I don't know, or as you get in as an adult, simple is I don't want to know. Simple is I don't want to step on the scale. Simple is I don't want to look on the back of the box and see what I'm putting in my body. Simple is I, I want to be willfully blind and ignorant. And there's a lot of warnings in scripture because you don't, 
You don't grow older and immediately get wiser. You can just be an old simple person or an old fool. Now the fool is different. The fool, is the temptation of anyone who grows up in the church is to be a fool. And the fool is the person who has taught everything and decides to go in a different direction. Right? There, there's a lot of things to say about the fool. the fool. The fool knows what God has said, but decides to do a different path. And here's what the fool always thinks. I'm unique. I can, I'm the only person in the world who gets to head on 40 East and go to Nashville. I mean, I'm serious about this because we'll be counseling people and we always have to say the same thing to them. It's like, it's like attention of two things. The first thing we say is, you're unique. God knit you together. Before you existed, nobody existed like you. You are so unique. Okay, we're done with that. You're not unique. I had to say all that first. You're not unique. Everybody who does that with their finances ends up there. The path of purity is the path that leads to intimacy. That's the only path. The path of honesty is the only path that leads to relationships. The path of generosity is the only path that leads to you owning things and things not owning you. But there are people who think, no, no, I get to do the other, I get to be on this path and something else will happen to me. In fact, if you read the Proverbs, the Proverbs says the fool is the person who sees, sees danger and keeps going. I'm the person who can look at pornography and it not affect me. I'm the person who can live above my means my whole life but still have plenty afterwards. I'm the person who doesn't have to prioritize my marriage and can still have a great marriage. I'm the person who doesn't have to have, I'm the first Christian ever who doesn't have to be a meaningful part of a church or do spiritual disciplines and I can have a great relationship with God. Wow. And that's where you have to say, you're not unique. Everybody who gets on the path ends up in the same destination. Which the scoffer is the worst, and I don't think we, you, you don't see as many scoffers in the church, but what the scoffer is, is the scoffer is the person who has a settled rebellion against God and is recruiting other people to do the same. So this is why in Psalm 1 it says, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. What is a scoffer? The scoffer's teaching. Bart Ehrman is a scoffer, self-admittedly. He teaches at UNC, he's an atheist, he tries to, in freshman religious studies classes, get kids to not believe in God anymore. Bill Maher is a scoffer. He has an HBO show and he's a settled atheist and talks about the foolishness of Christianity. Um, so they get blogs, they have podcasts, and then the wise person is the person who realizes their tendency and temptation to be simple or a fool. I mean, the beginning of wisdom is to realize you're a fool. The beginning of wisdom is to realize you're simple. And the problem about being simple is like, we all start off simple in every area of your life. And, and you know, it's like, Okay, well, I've never gotten married before, and that's a big decision, and I'm simple. Well, good, I need to get some wisdom. I've never bought a house. Well, I'm simple in that area. Good, I need to get some wisdom. Well, I've never become a parent. Well, I'm simple. Good, you need to get some wisdom. And then, so the rule to the simple is get wisdom. The rule, the, the rule to the fool is to repent and turn around. Now, I want to show you how we get wisdom. So, if you'll turn with me to verse 5, we'll go right back and see this. Here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So here's what it says. God is generous with his wisdom. He's not stingy. And by the way, wisdom is in a context of a relationship. Wisdom is not something we download from some, God is not a an iCloud computer in the sky. I mean, that's how we Americans think a lot of times. 
you know, can you directly, can I download some wisdom from you and then go away from you? God's like, that's not how it works. It's all in relationship. God is highly relational. So he's like, okay, if you want to have wisdom, it's not that you get something from me and then run away from me. It's that we talk and we walk and we have a dynamic daily relationship in which you have wisdom. And by the way, it says here, if you look at verse five, it says he will give it without reproach. It means he's not, he's not gonna withhold it from you. Okay? A lot of you think that when it comes to wisdom, God, you have to chase God around and then he kind of does this. Go away. <laughs> All right, th- come back another day. Not, not, no, no more for you now. No, it's this idea that God is willing to give you as much wisdom as you would like. And he even says without reproach. Now that's interesting. It means it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. And that's, a, that's the grace of God. Because some of you have learned the wisdom of God by failing to heed it. I see that all the time. Something happens in someone's life. They were foolish. They were rebellious. They knew the truth. They thought they were the exception. They thought they were unique. And then their life fell apart. And God's saying, well, just turn around. I'm right here. And I'm not going to say, I told you so. I'm going to say, how can I help? I'm eager and excited to help. So look what he says here, verse six. He says, let us at, or if, verse five, I'm sorry. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So three, three areas that you get wisdom from, there's probably more, but at least three is you get wisdom from God's word, from prayer and from people. God's word, prayer, and people. So God's word. I mean, this is the whole idea of having, you know, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a quiet time. You can call it whatever, a daily devotional time. You can call it just reading your Bible in the morning. It it doesn't really matter. The, The whole point is, I'll say this as nicely as I can, as kindly as I can. Don't tell me or anybody that you're interested in knowing God's wisdom if you're not spending any time in the word. Some of you spend more time on Wordle than in the Word, okay? Which, fair enough. I mean, Wordle's kind of a neat thing. It's like, hey, we're all going to do one thing together today. It'll take us a few minutes. We'll try to figure it out, and then we'll ask everybody else if they got it. What if we did something like that with the Word? We each get in the Word. We talk with other people about what we're learning and what we're understanding. We're going every day to the Word of God, trying to get a word from God. So, Here's the thing, we are consuming, let's just admit it to ourselves, we are consuming so much content and we don't know how it's shaping and forming us. I mean, when you watch three seasons of some show in like three weeks, how's that shaping you? When you mindlessly scroll the highlights of your friend's social media pictures, how does that shape you? When, when we constantly are just reading the worst news in the world on a 24-7 breaking news cycle where what gets the headlines is whatever is the most shocking, how is that shaping you? Well, I, I, we can't answer all those questions, but we could say what I'd like to be shaped by most is the Word of God. So this is, what, what are we doing on the weekends? Well, what we're doing on the weekends, so if you think about daily, it's like you're trying to go to the Word of God for a meal or a snack. On the weekend, we're trying to give you Thanksgiving. We're trying to, this is why some of us, this is all we do. So that we can talk about the word for 40 or 50 minutes, apply it to our lives, we can sing songs, we can hear the sacraments, we can have conversations together. And this is why, why do we emphasize community groups so much? It's because the best way to understand the Bible is in community. It's actually very dangerous for you and your Bible for you to be alone in the woods. Do you know that every cult started with some guy alone with, in the woods with his Bible thinking he had a new idea? 
See, what happens is when you're, reading, when you're reading your Bible in community, then my biases and my willful blindness and my ignorance and my presuppositions and all that I'm bringing to the text, you know, they'll be different than Bob's and Joe's and Johnny's. And so when we're talking together, Bob can say to Johnny, hey, Johnny, man, have you ever thought about wisdom in regards to your workaholism? And Bob's thinking, I've been trying to avoid my workaholism. I've been trying to not think about wisdom. I've been doing all I can to push that down, to suppress that in my mind. But a good friend helps. We help each other. We, we take the mirror and we say, are you, are you seeing this? The mirror of God's word. Here's what I'm saying. Are you seeing this? The second thing is prayer. I told you this earlier, but prayer makes us God conscious. Now, it's very interesting. I don't mean this in some political sense, but over the last like week or two or three, everybody's posting, pray for Ukraine, pray for Ukraine, pray for Ukraine, pray for Ukraine. Right? It's like all down our feeds. And I'm, I'm almost positive God's in heaven going, everybody's posting, nobody's praying. Because it's very, I mean, the average person spent more time thinking about the filter they were going to put on that and the font they were going to do and the caption they were going to say and the timing they were going to post it and how many people liked it than actually praying for Ukraine. And it's just a picture. We, we should pray for Ukraine. It's just a picture of where our hearts are. It's a picture that we don't spend much time seeking God's face. What you do in prayer is you basically agree with God. That's what you do in prayer. You agree with God. God, hey, I, I'm here to agree with you. That's what you're doing. God, you're awesome. God, you know everything. I'm just agreeing with that. God, I am foolish. I, that confession is agreement with God. God, I don't know what I'm doing in my marriage. God, my finances are a wreck. God, I'm, I'm struggling to understand why I'm depressed. And then you, you might ask this question, and this is a helpful question to go deeper in prayer. God, what foolish thing am I doing that I need to immediately stop doing? I double dog dare you to pray that this week. Because I think immediately something's going to come to your mind and heart. If you know the word of God, you're, God's going to use the Holy Spirit. He's going to use your conscience. He's going to use the word of God. And you're going to know so quickly. God, what am I avoiding doing? What is something that I have been avoiding and ignoring that I need to start doing? You'd be surprised that God doesn't put something on your heart immediately. This is what prayer is. I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask him for wisdom. And I'm not, I'm not going to just ask the, the American question, how do I get out of it? But what can I get out of it? The third thing is people. And God's given us a church by God's grace with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in it. And so what happens is whatever area you're struggling in, you may want to ask this question, in the area where I'm struggling, is there someone I admire? In the area that I'm struggling, is there someone I admire? I don't have my finances together, but Joe does. Admiration is the reflex of your conscience. It's the way it, you're telling yourself something. I really like, I, I, that person has something I don't. They know something I don't. They're somewhere I'm not. They're further on the path than I am. And let me just encourage you, because I've seen this again and again and again. People who are wise, nothing excites them more than helping somebody else be wise. I promise you, someone who by God's grace has figured out parenting, if you come to them, they're going to be like, we were fools. We were simple in a lot of areas. We figured a couple things out. When can you come over? You ask somebody, you come to someone, you say, dude, I have so messed up my finances. But you, I, I see you, and somehow you've got, I mean, can you, I'm an idiot. Can you help me? I, I don't know. That person, I promise you, would say, yeah, let's, how quickly can you get together? I would love to teach you what I know. 
there's, it's, so, it's, it's discipleship. It's so unbelievably rewarding for somebody who has wisdom in some area to pass it on to somebody who will admit that they're foolish or simple. But there is a warning. I want you to see the warning. There's only one warning in this passage, and it shows up in verse six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double mind, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The warning is not to be a wave. Do you see that? Don't be a wave. Don't doubt. And the, the language there is, what do waves do? Waves, in, that, in their mind, the waves did two main, they represented two things. They represented instability and restlessness. Instability is what do waves do if you watch them? They just go up and down. They go back and forth. One, one of the ways that you know you're double-minded and, and you're full of doubt is you continue to be in the same place. That's one of the signs. I'm just in the same place. I've not made any progress because I take two steps forward, then I take two steps back. Or you're unbelievably exhausted all the time. Lots of times people are exhausted because they're trying to live, lead multiple lives. Here's what he's saying. He said, don't be double-minded. Now, this is interesting. James coined this term. It literally means double-sold or divided loyalties. Here, here's what he's saying. This is so cool. James is saying, here's the one requirement if you want God to answer your prayer for wisdom. You gotta be all in. It just calls us all to the carpet. You gotta be all in. You gotta basically say, God, I, I wanna know, and I'm willing to do it. So it's like, and I just gotta ask you, do you? Do you wanna know? Do you wanna know what God has to say about your marriage? If your marriage is falling apart, and you, you gotta say to God, God, I'm willing. Like God, half of prayer, by the way, is getting neutral. I'm getting neutral, God. I know what I want. I know what I want her to do. I know what I want him to do. Forget all that. Okay. I know I want you to give me the path of least resistance. Okay, forget all that. Okay. I want you to tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, God puts it on your heart. Are you, okay, you're willing? If you're going to love your wife as Christ loved his church, you're going to have to travel less. Darn it. I knew that's what, you know, you know what I'm saying? Okay, Lord, I'm in. I, I, I want to hear it. And I'm willing to do it. How many areas of your life, if you were just really honest, you're like, I don't really want God to speak into it. I mean, I say I do. I'm like Augustine. Augustine, who wrote Confessions, which, by the way, many consider the first autobiography ever written. Augustine, in 300, he wrote Confessions, and he says in that book, he says, he says for a long time, he prayed this prayer to God. God, please take away my lust, but not yet. It's double-minded. When it comes to our finances, because we're going to see this in a moment as we close, that's the first area he's going to go to when it comes to wealth or when it comes to wisdom. When it comes to our finances, do we really want God speaking into it? Most of you already know what God said about it. It's like, all right, Lord, am I, am I going to let you speak into my life? Am I really going to be all in? But let me just tell you, there is a, there's a relief to being all in. I'm all in. This is what my life's about. I'm not trying to be something else somewhere else. I'm all in, and, and, there, and I believe that Jesus' burden is light and his yoke is easy. So the only requirement for wisdom is that you have to say, I'm going to be all in, Lord. Whatever you tell me. You tell me to get on the path, I'm going to get on the path. You tell me to turn around, I'm turning around. You tell me simple, I'm simple, I'm going to say I need to learn. You tell me a fool, I'm going to say I'm going to listen and turn around. 
which leads to the final thing, which is uh, wisdom and wealth. And I'll just mention this briefly because we don't have a lot of time, and, and this is a theme that James will return to later. But he says this, let the lowly brother, that's a poor person, ex boast, and boast here means rejoice, boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. So he basically says there's a, a poor guy and a rich guy. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So part of what wisdom is, is you have to think about pain and pleasure, okay? You have to think about poverty and prosperity because those are the two extremes of life. In Christians, we don't believe in prosperity theology or poverty theology. You'll go to certain churches and they believe in prosperity theology. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be happy. And God wants it right now for all of you all the time. That's, that's a version of prosperity theology, okay? And there's, there's softer and harder versions of, of prosperity theology. And then there's poverty theology, which is a lot of churches believe this too. The poorer you are, the more God loves you. And certain churches will treat their pastor that way. We'll make them real poor, so we'll have to trust the Lord. It's like, okay, well, we don't believe in poverty theology. Well, actually, and that's what prosperity theology is. Prosperity theology is the pastor should have the nicest car. The pastor should live in the biggest house. That's prosperity theology. Poverty theology is the, car, the pastor should have to take Uber, have no car. <laughs> the pastor should, should live in a very small parsonage where we can control him at all times. And so there's, there's prosperity theology, there's poverty theology. We don't believe in either. Uh, we believe that the Bible, that, that's a low resolution view of the Bible. Um, but the Bible actually teaches there's not just the poor and the rich. That's why this is important to understand that. Because every election cycle, there's the poor and there's the rich. The Bible, clear in this text and other places, says there's the godly poor and the ungodly poor. The godly rich and the ungodly rich. There's actually not two types of people, there's four types of people, right? So there's the godly poor. Guess what? Most Christians through all of human history, have been the godly poor. Most people in the Bible are the godly poor. They love Jesus and they have a little. And that's okay. And actually, if you go to other places in the world, they're happier than us. They love God more than us. They're more content than us. There's the ungodly poor. The ungodly poor are people who are poor and it's their fault. I know you can't say that today, but the Bible says it. And they're the sluggard and they're the lazy and they're the foolish. And then there is the ungodly rich. And the ungodly rich, they, they love money and they use people. They, they don't give good wages. They don't have good scales. They're, they're ruthless, okay? Um, but then there is the godly rich. And, and the godly rich are, you know, well, King David was godly and rich. Job was godly and rich. Abraham was godly and rich. So there's people who are godly and rich. And, and so here, here's the rule, because we don't have a lot of time on this, but here's the rule of poverty and prosperity according to this text. Both states are temporary, and both states have temptations. They're both temporary. You'll notice he says everything's going to fade away. They're both temporary. And they both have different temptations. So what's interesting is, is Agar, who wrote part of Proverbs 30, he says this very powerful prayer that I had a buddy of mine. It was his life verse. And the prayer says, God, it's in Proverbs 30. It says, God, please, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it says, God, please don't make me poor, because then I might have to steal and I don't want to dishonor your name. But God, also, please don't make me rich so that I forget about you. So you, you can hear in there the different temptations that they're having. I don't know if you've heard of affluenza. It, it's become, be, being talked about more and more because there was a, I can't remember if it was a high school student or a college student, he, he drunk drives and he killed somebody. And the court case, his lawyer, of course, very wealthy, very successful lawyer, comes in and argues affluenza that this young man has had too much. He's had too much access. He's had too much money. He's had too much freedom. He's had too nice of a car. 
made this whole case of he had affluenza. Affluenza has been compared to anorexia. Anorexia is I'm never thin enough. Affluenza is I never have enough money. If you look at verse 11, the main thing with wisdom is don't hitch your heart to anything that's going to fade. Because what he's saying there is the rich man, if he hitches his heart to, if he begins to love money instead of love people and use money. Because again, God's not a, God doesn't care about us having stuff. He doesn't want stuff to have us. But if he hitches his heart to something and it fades away, then you fade with it. I heard a pastor, he told a story of... Um, Two women in his church, he said they both got sick. They were both in their 30s. They both got sick. They both put on lots of weight, and they lost all their hair. And he said one woman, she, she cared about beauty. She cared about looks. She cared about femininity. She, she cared about youth. But it was in the right perspective. It wasn't an idol. and She didn't hit her heart to it. He said she had to go through that. It was very hard, but she made it through it. She, he said the other lady lost her faith. And he said, from what he could tell, it's because she hitched her heart to beauty and youth. And so when it faded, she faded. It was the idol that she worshiped. Jesus is gracious enough to us that he says, listen, I want you to understand what wisdom is. It's understanding God's perspective, not making plans, but getting on the right path, and understanding that you're becoming a type of person. Here's what's interesting. This is, this is what is so neat. When Jesus shows up in John 14 and he says to his disciples, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Guess what they heard when he said, I'm the way? I'm the path. So these Jewish boys, they grew up, they grew up reading Proverbs and they realized, oh God, there's a path and we need to get on the path and wisdom is a path. And then they, they, they meet Jesus and they go, oh my goodness, the path is a person. Wisdom is a person, which reminds you what I was saying earlier. It's all about relationship. See, what Jesus says is, if you're simple, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to show you the path, wherever you are, and I want you to follow me. This is why here we call discipleship following Jesus and helping others find and follow Jesus. And if you're foolish, here's what you often, if you're trying to run away from God, and if you turn around, guess what? He's right there. He's very fast. <laughs> and so wherever you are, if you, as soon as you turn around, and it's not like you have a long way to go. Jesus is like, hey, listen, turn around. I'm right here. I've been following you. Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is, you don't run after God. You're actually running away from God. We're all Adam. We're all hiding behind the bush, and God comes after us. And he says, okay, listen, to the simple, follow me. To the foolish, turn around. And you may say, well, where is Jesus leading us? And that's what he tells us in John 14. He says, guys, here's where I'm leading you. I'm leading you home to dad. And you're going to have a hard marriage in the middle of it. And you're going to have some difficult children and you're gonna have some problems with your illness, and you're going to die. There's lots of trials that are coming. What you need is wisdom. Wisdom is not something you download from the sky. Wisdom is somebody who came down from the sky. Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in a relationship with him, and we follow him. You know, I knew a guy in our church, and. He had, he had cancer and he had to get radiation, I think it was on his mouth. And I remember him telling me the story. He said, Kyle, he said, I have to go into this room alone. And he said, but every, he said, I have to go in there and no one else will come in there and no one's in there and it's, it's radiation and I'm scared of what it's going to do to me. He says, but I go in there and I know that Jesus Christ walks in there with me. That's wisdom. Jesus Christ has already been through death. 
Jesus Christ has already been through every trial and temptation. What he asked is, would you say to Jesus Christ today, I'm all in? That's what conversion is. That's what becoming a Christian is. I'm all in. I give you my sin. I give you myself. That's why whenever we baptize, we ask two questions. You know, do you believe Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to save you? And are you willing to go wherever he asks you to go and do whatever he asks you to do? What I want to do is I want to end with us just praying together and asking God for wisdom wherever you are. Let's pray. Lord, we just take a moment right now, wherever each individual person is in this room, Lord, and we just ask for wisdom. It may be a retired person saying, what do I do with my retirement? It may be one, on one end of the room, it may be someone saying, what do I do because I'm in financial stress? It may be somebody else saying, what do I do now that I have this inheritance? It could be dealing with plenty or dealing with poverty. It could be dealing with infertility or dealing with being overwhelmed with kids. It could be dealing with marriage or it could be dealing with not being married. Lord, we just ask for wisdom, Lord. We, 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 we Help us, uh, we, we say the prayer from scripture, we believe, help our unbelief. Help us to be all in, Lord. Help us to search your word Help us to seek your face in prayer. Help us to be honest and talk to other people about where we need to grow, Lord. Whether we're simple or foolish, Lord. If we're simple, let us get on the right path. If we're foolish, let us turn around. Let us do it all by the grace of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.